0: Good morning. Please open your Bible in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. If you remember and if you've been here before, uh, you know that I've been going through the book of Colossians, and today is my goal to preach from verse 23 through verse 29 and finish uh, chapter 1 of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hiding for ages and generations. But now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, and that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. God, what I just read describes every minister that you had raised up, describes the, the need that we have we we need your power working in us. I ask you, Lord, that you do that for me today. It's in Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. I don't know how many of you have seen the advertisements on the road, on the billboards for uh, Big Brother, Big Sister Club. Uh, it's a real funny and weird advertisement. It has like a deal cup and it says make a big deal or something. I don't understand it. I think they're trying to say to be a, make a, like a big deal in somebody's life, something like that. And now that it's the end of the year, you probably receive emails or notifications to donate and make a big deal or be part of something great and help and and it's almost the end of the year and everywhere you see like have you done enough you know what what have you done uh, are you even making a difference are you are you even part of something big or are you even uh helping others or so all that is coming uh, very soon because of the end of the year and all those advertisements and here in chapter one of Colossians, we see the life of one person, uh, the Apostle Paul, and just one one man that God raised up to serve him. And he's described as a minister, as a minister of God. See, it is my belief that the greatest need today the greatest need is not in washington It's not on a technology or or new inventions It's my belief that the Bible says that the greatest need and the greatest impact is going to come from here from a pulpit that's That's why. This nation and every other nation is in trouble. That's the reason, because the pulpit is in trouble. Because we don't have ministers of God anymore, according to the stewardship of God. We don't have men in the pulpits, and that's the problem. The church is suffering today because we have the wrong definition of the minister of the pulpit. We have the wrong definition of what it means to be a minister of God. And Brian did not pay me to preach what I'm going to preach so he didn't say, I want you to say all this about me. And this is not a sermon just for him. It's for you, too. Because the reason we had so many false prophets, and, and the reason the Church of Colossians were struggling with false teachings and false prophets, and the reason we, ha- we see that today is because Paul says to Timothy, They will gather themselves teachers. The teacher is just the result of what and whom? The people gathering themselves, that type of teacher and prophet. So this is not a sermon just for Brian. Brian, this is what you must do and be. But this is a sermon for you too. What type of teachers and preachers and ministers of God You should gather to yourselves. You have to know what the Bible says about who is a minister according to the stewardship from God. So, a faithful minister of God. What does a faithful minister of God do? What is his his job? What is he called to do? What, what is his main job? From what we read in Colossians, from the section I'm preaching today, we have a very good description of what the minister of God must do. His main job is to proclaim the gospel. And by proclaiming the gospel, he is giving hope. He proclaims the gospel, and he gives hope. He needs to make the word of God fully known. Not just some sections or parts of the Bible, but fully known. If you were not here this morning, uh, you miss a, a really great example of this. Fully known. When a man comes in front of you and says, I'm going to teach you from Genesis 10, and you read that chapter before and all the genealogies and all those names that I cannot Pronouns, and he says I'm going to teach you you say what? How, what what is he going to say about that and then you end at the end of the, uh, the teaching and you're like wow so a minister of God he must teach fully everything not just the sessions that are popular that are convenient not just the parts where people agree with you But even Genesis 10, where it's so hard to go to all those names and all those genealogies, and it takes time. You don't just teach that. You don't just spend a certain amount of time teaching about Genesis 10 without working, without spending time, without doing your homework. So a minister of God, he must teach the Word of God fully everything to proclaim the riches of the glory of the gospel to give the hope of glory which is christ to proclaim christ to give warning to everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that's what the minister of god do that's his job so we live in west texas and like any town or any city every town has uh, they're famous for something. The city where I grew up—they're uh, they're famous in Georgia, Pistri City. They, they're famous for a hundred miles of golf cart network, and you can go anywhere in the city in your golf cart. Here in West Texas, we're famous of Oil Town. It's all about the oil, and people move here, and as soon as people move here, they begin to work really hard so they can live here. <laughs> They move here, and then they move, they, they go, and, and that's what happens here in West Texas. People come, people go, so maybe in your near future, you're moving, you're going to be looking for a church, for a new place to gather and worship with your family, so I hope this helps you. How does a minister look? What are the descriptions of a minister of God? Or maybe you're going to be celebrating 100-year birthday here, and you stay here, hopefully, too. So either or, I hope this helps you to understand how does the minister of God, according to the Bible, what he should do. So we know that he must proclaim the word of God. He must proclaim the gospel. And he must give hope. We we as ministers of God, we give hope. See, since the fall in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sin, and when we began to see the consequences of sin, the entire reality of life is miserable. It is miserable. Everywhere you see, there, there, there is sin. But there is hope. Since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God gives hope. Not everything is lost, Adam and Eve. There is hope. So that's what the minister of God do, does. He gives hope. And to who? To whom does he preach? To whom does he proclaim the gospel? And Paul says, to all creation under heaven. The good news that the minister of God proclaims is for everyone. He proclaims the gospel to all and always. Not only when it's convenient or easy, but always. We preach Christ, we preach the gospel to all. Is the job of the minister of God easy? Or without a challenge? Easy answer? No. It's not. What are some of those challenges? The Apostle Paul here says in Colossians that the minister of God will have sufferings, afflictions, toil, and struggling. Are these sufferings and afflictions only mental? Is it only like stressful or only in the mind? No, the Apostle Paul says that the sufferings and afflictions are in the flesh, They are very real to him. And we know by his calling in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, when Christ calls him for ministry to the Apostle Paul, Christ says, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So that's the description of the job. He must suffer. How many of you want to be higher? You're going to have afflictions, you're going to have toils, you're going to have struggles, you're going to suffer, and it's just not stressful and mental. It's in the flesh, too. It is real. It's going to affect your life. Where is, where is the Apostle Paul writing to the Colossians from? From prison. It will cost him. Now, is the minister of God surprised about these challenges? Is this a surprise for him? Oh, I didn't know I was going to suffer this much. No, he is not surprised of the sufferings, the afflictions, the struggle. He even rejoices in his sufferings. He rejoices in his sufferings. And the question is, why? Why would anyone rejoice in suffering? It does not make any sense. Why does he rejoice in his sufferings? For the sake of the church. For the sake of the body of Christ, which is the church. See, a false prophet, you can identify a false prophet by he is a lover of himself. He doesn't like to suffer. But a minister of God, called by God, he loves the church. And even if he suffers... Even if he goes through afflictions and suffering, he finds that a rejoice because he loves the church. And the church is the body of Christ, so he loves Christ. And even his pain, his suffering is a joy for him. So, what does the minister look like? A suffering, rejoiced person. He's suffering, but he's rejoiced. Now, remember the advertisement that I told you I see on the roads, the billboards? They want you to make an impact in somebody's life? Well, the minister does exactly that. He impacts, but not just the lives of who he serves, but he impacts the entire Uh, everything see how can one elderly man inside a prison impact the big almighty empire of Rome why is Rome so afraid of these elderly men of Paul inside a prison because he's proclaiming the gospel even if it costs him See, what happens today is that people don't want to suffer. People don't want to lose. If it costs you, you run. But this is a man who knows that there is going to be suffering. This is a man who knows who's going to lose. And he still says, it's a joy. It's a joy. Where can you find men like that? That, That's why we have the problems we have today because men don't want to suffer you a boy suffering who who can be a minister of god is the minister of god self appointed he just wake up one day and say Oh, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a minister, and we see that all the time, right? New building, new church, new pastor. Wow. Almost like the business that says under new management. <laughs> <laughs> Come, we we fire that one. We have a better one. More light to your, you know, desires. Who who can be, a minister of God? Is he self-appointed? No the minister of god must be given by god himself god gives he gave faithful men to shepherd we see that on second timothy chapter 2 the entire chapter we have a description of who timothy should choose to be ministers of God. They must be faithful men. They must present themselves to God as approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God, share in sufferings, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, flee youthful passions, and pursue righteousness, Faith, love, and peace have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. That's uh, Second Timothy chapter two. That's just what I read. A small uh, description of how does a minister of God looks like: kind to everyone, able to teach patiently. He's loving. He suffers. I was preparing this, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not even half that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like the last one, having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Ooh, I better close my Facebook. Like, we, so many things. There's a high, high standard for who's going to stand here and preach and teach we have whoever is the minister of God shepherding his people, he's put on a higher standard. Why? Simple. Because he's the leader, so goes the leader, so goes the rest. See, uh, I'm not the pastor here. Brian is. But even if Brian is not uh, aware of, but we're watching him. We are. We are watching him, and he's our standard. If he do it, we're like, well, he do it. He's the pastor. It's maybe not that bad. See, that's what happens today. So many pastors, or so-called pastors, that live a sinful life, and all behind them, or under them, they say, well, he's my pastor. He does all those sinful things. He lives that type of uh, sinful lifestyle. And I'm not that bad as he is, so I must be okay. That's why is the importance of what Paul is saying here. He's not just exalting himself and saying, look, I'm suffering, I'm going through all this hardship, he's saying, I do this for the sake of the church. The reason we want to be holy as ministers of God is not because we want to put a label on ourselves and say, look how holy I am. It's because we don't want you to use us as an excuse to sin. Now, I'm not this tender. Brian is not the standard, you should not be comparing yourself or your life to me or Brian, you should be comparing your life to Christ. He is the standard. But we are human beings and we do look at the first one in front of us, and that's Brian, me, and other ministers here. So you will look at the minister of God and compare your life to him. For that reason, the standard as For the minister of God is really high. He must be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. He must be the example. Paul says, imitate me because I imitate Christ. Unfortunately, we see that most of the problems... In many churches today is that their leaders are nothing close to Christ. And so the church doesn't look like Christ. And so the nation doesn't look like Christ. So the families don't look like Christ. That's why I say, you want to make a deal? Here it is. You want to make an impact in your nation, in your community? It begins here. You as the listeners, you as the members of this church, you have the obligation to ask that standard from your leaders. You have the obligation to ask for that standard that the Bible requires as a minister of God. And the minister of God has the obligation to put the standard and the example in front of you. But unfortunately, neither the minister or the members care about it. And I'm talking as a, why uh, the church as in general. We're very blessed to have uh, a truly minister of God in this church. It's just amazing how he, uh, our pastor, uh, teach this morning from Genesis 10. I could never do that, I know. Even if I take 10 years to prepare, I'll be, you know, you'll be boring and sleeping. <laughs> Teaching from genealogies and all those names. But we are blessed. The Lord raised him, and we are blessed. Does the minister of God accomplish his goals? Does he teach and measure up to that standard by his own strength, by himself? No. No. We read in Colossians, again, that he receives his energy from him. From Christ Christ works powerfully on him. The power and energy are from Christ, not his son. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul says the same thing. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. So even though I'm thankful for Brian, and that he is a good teacher, and he can bring the word of God, I know it's not him. I know he could not do it by himself on his own. It's Christ. Christ who gives him that energy, wisdom, and power. And every minister of God, faithful minister of God, will say the same thing. It is through him, it's by his power, that I'm able to do this. So the second you see someone boasting in themselves, you can immediately mark them as a false prophet. Because a true minister of God would not have the courage to even say, it was me, it's I. He will immediately go and say, you're thankful for my minister to your life, he will go quickly and say, it is him. It is Christ. It's because of him. Look at him. See, a true minister of God will bring the light and put it to Christ, not to himself. Now, what is the goal? What is his purpose? What is he trying to achieve as the minister of God? What he wants to do? What he wants from you? He wants to present you and everyone mature in Christ. That's, that's what he wants. See, what, what a true minister of God wants is for the body of Christ to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. That's what a true, faithful minister of God wants from you. See, when I moved to Texas from Florida, I was working in a restaurant, and a coworker. when I told him I'm moving to, to Texas, he's like, why? I said, oh, I'm going to uh, church so I can prepare for ministry. He's like, oh, you're going to be a pastor? and His eyes got this big. I said, I hope so, yes. And he's like, oh, that's good. They're all rich. They have a lot of money. It's going to be better than working here. And I say, oh. (laughs) And that's what people think. What's the goal of the minister? Get as much money as possible and get rich. What the Bible says, nothing about money. A real minister of God wants you to be mature in Christ. He wants you to be not a baby in the faith no more. He wants to present you mature in Christ. He wants you to continue in the faith, continue steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel. He wants you to understand the gospel to the core, to master the gospel, not moving from the gospel, but understanding the hope of the gospel. Because the moment you cheat from that hope of the gospel, the moment you change the gospel, the hope is gone. The hope is Is not longer in you. Now you have your confidence in yourself or other external things, and the hope is gone. And once the hope is gone, then there's no hope. (laughs) But the minister brings the gospel, and he wants you to stay in the gospel, continue in the faith, be stable and steadfast. That is the goal of the minister of God. He's not after your wallet. So, that's another evidence. If they're after your wallet, you can mark them or him as a false prophet. What is his goal? He wants you to know Christ. He wants you to have hope in this lost war. Now, why, why is that his goal? We, we saw that before for the sake of the church. He loves Christ. He loves the body. He loves Christ. Well, now that we have a, a good understanding, a better understanding of what the Bible says about the minister of God, if you're like me and when we read this section of Colossians, there's some questions that rise up. For example, when you read, "Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and am in my flesh, I am feeling not what is lacking in Christ's afflictions," you read that and there's some flags and there's some questions like, "Ooh, wait, what?" Also, on verse 26, "The mystery hiding for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." Saints. You read that word "mystery," then you like, "What is the mystery?" There's questions that we have when we read this section. So let's look at the first question. What does the Apostle Paul mean when he says that in his sufferings, he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? See, Paul is describing the role as a minister of God. He des- he's describing what it means to be a minister of God. Another way for you to understand what the Apostle Paul means here, I want you to think about John, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, we know that he prepared the way, the boys crying in the desert. He prepared the way. He was before Christ. He prepared the way for Christ, but he did not make the way. He was not the way. He prepared the way. Now, Paul did not make the way. Paul just maintains the way. Any other minister of God just are servants of God who maintain that way. We don't. Paul is not saying, "Oh, because of me, I need to fill up and and Christ was lacking, so I need to add some to the way." No, he's maintaining the way, and that's a privilege. Christ did not need John the Baptist to prepare the way for him. But he gave John the Baptist the privilege to prepare the way for him. Jesus doesn't need Paul to maintain the way for him. But he raised up Paul to maintain the way for him. And even today, God keeps raising up Ministers for him, servants for him. And like we read in chapter 9, Jesus says, they will suffer for my sake. So, he's not completing the way. We know by John chapter 9, I'm sorry, John 19, that the way is finished. John 19 verse 30, when Jesus had received serve wine, he said, it is finished. Paul is not finishing the work of Christ. He's just maintaining the work of Christ as a privilege that the Lord gives to some. Uh, We know in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. These are gifts that God gives his church. He gave them apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers. So they're not the way, but they are maintaining the way. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They are just uh, they they are just uh, blessed to have this great privilege to preach Christ. Now the second question, the mystery once hidden, now reveal it. So what is this mystery? The Apostle Paul called it a mystery hidden for ages and generations. So to understand this mystery, we have to go in the timeline before Genesis 1, before creation, before time, only in the mind of God, there is a mystery hidden from ages and generations. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 3, we see the fall of mankind, and you may say, oh, that grab God by a surprise, his creation now fall in sin. But that's why we began before Genesis, that this was a mystery hidden, hidden from ages and generations. But in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 we also find the hope. The hope of the offspring. Not everything is lost. There is hope. Mankind Adam and his children fall, but there's hope in the offspring. Ages and generations go by. The hope given by God to Adam and Eve is now clear. We have more information. We have more details. God continues to send prophets after prophets, giving more details about the hope given to Adam. The offering mentioned back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is expected by many now. We read in our Bible, many are looking for that day to see the salvation promise. Many are eagerly waiting for the day of the offspring to come. And before the offering arrives, as we mentioned before, we have John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. We know he's not the offspring, but he's preparing the way for the offspring. The mysteries hidden from ages and ages is almost revealed. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary, can it be him? No man can do the works that he does if God is not with him. It must be him. But wait, he keeps saying he must die. He keeps saying that he will be arrested and put to death and dead on the cross. How can he be the offspring? How can he give hope? How can he be the hope given to Adam and Eve? How can he save mankind if he cannot save himself from the cross? Jesus died at the cross. Is all hope lost? No. It's not because at the third day he's raised from the dead. All who believe in him can now have hope. There is redemption and forgiveness of sin in him. He died as substitution for sinners. There's your mystery. There's the there's the mystery hidden for ages and ages is now complete completely revealed. That is the good news of salvation since Genesis 3 15. And that's what the minister of God does. He brings that hidden mystery before, but now it's revealed. By the way, it's not revealed to all. It's only revealed to those who God chose. The saints. But as ministers of God, we don't just preach to the elect because we actually don't know who the elect are. We just preach to all. To all nations, to all people. And in the timeline, we see Christ's race and he gave and he opened the hidden mystery. Now is revealed. But wait. There is a man named Saul of Tarsus who's persecuting the church, all the followers of Christ. And he is determined to end the church, the followers of Christ. But the gospel, cannot be stopped the head of the church Christ himself stops him in his way to damascus and the man saul who was determined to stop the gospel now from persecutor now to promoter promoter of the gospel the church cannot be stopped The gospel cannot be born. Even even after Paul is gone, there will still be persecutors of the church. But God will continue to raise faithful servants to keep advancing his great news of salvation. God will build his church. And it begins here, on a pulpit. You want to make a big impact in your city, in your life, in your family, in your nation, in your generation. You want to make a difference. It begins here. Require of whoever is here what the Bible requires. And also, whoever is here needs to do what the Bible says, which is proclaim the gospel. Proclaim Christ. Now if you notice in the description we don't have uh, things like uh, the minister of God must be at my birthday party. (laughs) Maybe he will. I don't know. We also have uh, over here we don't have that the minister of God must, uh, you know, be there all the time and, and, you know, be your servant. He's your servant, but he serves you by preparing the word of God. So you, as the member of this church, your greatest concern about Brian is, is he and the word of God. You should give him all the time that he needs to be preparing for the Word of God. And everything else, we should do it. But his main concern should be preparing the Word of God, bringing the book to us, because that's our greatest need. That's that's the greatest need of this church, of this city, and this nation. And that's how God Uh, that's how God is going to bless this nation. See, I received newsletters from different political uh, uh, people, and, wow, they know how to write. They give you, you know, it feels like I better send them money now. It's so important. (laughs) It's so important. Like, it's so crucial. Like, it must be done now. They they have I don't know they they're they're really good you read and like yeah yes yes you say yes yes it's it's that time, but let me tell you I'm not a good writer but what I want you to know is that this is crucial. What we do here is very important. It's crucial. We need men who can preach the word of God even if they cost even if it costs him, even if it costs them. We need men who can stand here even if they're going to suffer, even if they're going to lose. And we need church members who's going to support that man. And that's crucial. And that's very important. Let us pray. Lord, Lord, um, you you know me, Lord. You know this church. You know each of each person sitting here this morning, and each person uh, part of the church who's watching or or ill and is not here. You know all of us, and we do want to make an impact. We do want to make a difference. Help us make that difference beginning in the pulpit, taking your war, your as valuable as it is. Help us believe that your war is powerful enough to chain a nation. Help us believe, like the Apostle Paul, that even if he's in chains in a prison cell, What he's preaching and proclaiming is so powerful that chains and walls cannot bound the gospel. Help us believe that. Help Colonial Bible Church continue steadfast in the faith, not shifting from the gospel. It is through him and by him that we hope to stay this way, by Christ, through his power, by his help. In his name I pray. Amen.